morning I want to look at how to develop a mindset for the supernatural. Okay, since the 1800s, from people uh, in Edinburgh who were very instrumental, Scotland may be a small country, but it's had worldwide impact. To find people like John Locke and Hume and through the Enlightenment and the Renaissance, what happened was that the supernatural became uh, almost fictional. And there was a worship of reason and there was a worship of academia and things that were empirical, measurable, observable and objective. And so scientific rationale replaced the supernatural. So now we live in a postmodern culture whereby the supernatural is looked at as something from a bygone era, even in a lot of the church. Uh, it's fictitious at worst. And at best, it's superstitious. And I don't believe that supernatural is any of those things, folks. Uh, I believe that the supernatural is part of, if you're a Christian, and have been for any length of time, that's part of your DNA. So this morning, I want to look at how do you develop a mindset for the supernatural so that you can see God's supernatural moving in and through your life. And here's the first thing. Mindset and seek to move in the supernatural mindset is more important than model. We vineyard love our models, don't we? We have the five-step healing model, yeah, which is brilliant. It's a good place to start. But if you're stuck there, then you're stuck there. It's a model. So moving in the supernatural and developing a mindset for the supernatural, mindset is more important than model. Many people try to emulate a model rather than develop a mindset. And as such, it creates a blockage to moving in the supernatural power of God. I'm not going to give you models of ministry today. I can do that easily. Five steps to faith, eight steps to fasting, nine steps to deliverance, seven steps to the anointing, almost all different steps to healing, how to move in the miraculous. I've found that this not really works like that. And the reason being is we have a God who lives. And the thing about Jesus, he's always moving. Just when I think I've got them figured out, I've got them boxed in, and I understand and feel like he'll do something that shatters my illusions of him. We don't control Jesus. He controls us. He is the Lord. Okay, from Genesis to Revelation, we see the super countless demonstrations of the supernatural power of God at work on the behalf of his people. So you see God in creation, Genesis 1 through 3, that's incredible demonstrations of the supernatural power of God. We have galaxies that still exist because thousands of years ago God spoke them into existence. It's incredible, isn't it? We have Homo sapiens, what René Descartes says, I think, therefore I am. So you define humanity by man's ability to ration and reason. Uh, where we get the word Homo sapiens, thinking man is a thinking being. God created us for the ability to think. And we still populate the earth. How incredible is that? You see God demonstrating his power and supernatural intervention when he brings the people of Israel. They went in, 75 people came out, 3 million. Incredible. In the midst of persecution, uh, latterly. Uh, persecuted actually for 400 years and enslaved for 400 years as God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 15. Your people will be enslaved in the land, not their own for 400 years and afterwards I will come and rescue them and bring them to their land. That I've destined for them. And so we see God opening part of the Red Sea. 
I remember years ago I heard this prophecy and it was actually in Birmingham. I never heard it personally, but it was reported to me. And it was the height of the Kansas City prophets. Anybody been about the vineyard and Paul Kane and John Paul Jackson and Bob Jones and all those weird and wonderful guys would come and predict everything and anything and a lot of came true and a lot of didn't come true. They were wonderful people. I met some of them, other ones I didn't meet. And one time during this, the height of this, someone stood up, and my brother actually told me this, so it was, I think it was in an Elam Pentecostal church context. And he gave this word of prophecy. My dear children, I've not had as much fun since I parted the Red Sea. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not sure if that is right or wrong, because the Lord did say that I've not much fun since I parted the Red Sea. Yeah, I remember another one, which is a bit funnier than that, and they never meant to say that, and it was a woman called Jean Darnell. And Jean Darnell's got a wonderful prophecy dating back to the 60s about revival coming through the north of Scotland uh, and sweeping through to the length of Britain and, and to Europe. But one time she was apparently prophesying in the meeting, uh, and again, I think it was in the Midlands, around about that area, and she says, I see the Lord like an octopus, and his testicles. <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's meant to be tentacles. <laughs> so sometimes at the moving in the supernatural, they're funny stories, folks, but I say this to say this, this, um, say that to say this rather. Uh, God does move. God will open a way where there is no way. I've seen it do it time and time and time again. When we were getting married, we were, I was engaged to my wife. Uh, I think I'd been employed and then I'd been laid off. We never had a lot of money. My mum my at that time, I think, had just become a Christian, uh, poor. My wife was just as much a dysfunctional family as mine was. So we, my wife was working, I was working, but it was low paid actually. And so we were like, how do we go pay for this wedding? Wedding dresses and everything else. And I remember one day, as in my living room and, and at home, well, I don't know where my mum was or my brother and sister was, I remember just crying out to God and saying, Lord, you are quoted David for the Psalms. You have delivered me for the paw of the bear and the mouth of the lion and have provided me. I've seen you provide so many times. Lord, would you provide for it as in this wedding? We don't have the money for this, that, and the next thing. My wife to be at the time, man, was back in Glasgow City Centre with her friend and they're passing by this bridal shop and a top-end bridal shop. And they see these gentlemen, so that was about the Tuesday, Wednesday, of that week and the Saturday they walked past in Glasgow City Centre, top end bread. You see these guys come out with black bags full of bridal dresses and, and like all the things, tiaras and stuff that you put on the tables. And they says to the gentleman, what are you doing with those? And you're talking about thousands of pounds worth of dresses. So they were just getting rid of them, they're dumping them, they went bankrupt. And they said, look, can we have a look? Can we? He said, take whatever you want. We get thousands of pounds worth of bridal dress that was absolutely beautiful. Tiaras, things for the brides. I think they even got the bridesmaids dresses as well. <laughs> we got lots of stuff. We get thousands of pounds worth for nothing. So I've seen God move supernaturally. I couldn't have done that. I'm not saying that God led that company to become bankrupt. So please hear me, okay? But sometimes God does do that. Sometimes God allows circumstances and situations for the benefit of his people. So you see that God parts the Red Sea, and God, and some people need to hear this today, God will open a way where there is no way. Okay, when you perceive that, that you can't see a way forward, and there's no way backward, 
Uh, I like to call it the corridor of transition. So where you were, the door is closed and you can't go back. And you're in this transition corridor and what is to come is not, the door's not yet been fully open so you don't know, see what's fully to come. And in this corridor between where you were, what you can't go back to and where you're going that you can't fully see, there's a temptation to believe that God has set you aside. And God has not set you aside, he's set you apart. God has not set you aside from something, he's set you apart for something. And you need to remember that period of transition. That God's not finished with you. It's just a process of transition whereby you might not see fully what's happening, but God will make a way. That's good news, isn't it? So, like I say, we see from Genesis to Revelation this multiple demonstrations of the supernatural activity of God, what theologians would, theologians would call the mighty acts of God. Then you come into the New Testament. So this is all scripture, folks, and you can find it in anywhere in the New Testament and the Old Testament. You come into the New Testament, you see the life of Jesus was, was a supernatural life, like no other, born of a virgin. There's never been a time before or since that that will happen. Never. And you see in the life of Jesus, that supernatural ministry accelerated. Did you know that one quarter of the Gospels are devoted to the supernatural ministry of Christ? Did you know that? One quarter of it talks about healing, deliverance, miracles, signs and wonders. One quarter of the synoptic Gospels or all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, are devoted to Christ functioning in the supernatural. And I think that's amazing. So in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 4 we find that this verse. And God also testifies to it. And what is he, what's the writer of Hebrews talking about? It's talking about God testifying to the word of salvation that we ourselves have received. It says God also testifies to it by signs, wonders and various miracles. Oh, long for the day with the people of God. Say, you know what, it's not about just God testifying to it by word, but with signs, miracles, Signs, wonders, and various miracles. And that's what the Lord wants to create in all of us. Signs, wonders, and miracles, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. If you want to move in a supernatural mindset, to move in supernatural power, you need to change the way you think about your identity. Because here's what I think move operating in the supernatural is not for the few people among us who are gifted. You see, that's John's gift. Or that's Caleb's gift. That's Jesse's gift. Or that's such and such gift. Or that's Ralph's gift. Or that's this. Operating supernatural ministry of miracles, of signs, wonders, various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed is not for the people who are gifted among us. But rather it's for all among us who are available. Do you know, the biggest thing in moving in supernatural is your availability. God is always speaking. God is always moving, but we're not always available. And God wants, there was a film years ago, I never watched it, I think it was called Intersection. Anybody ever seen that film? I think, what yeah. was the guy, I can see that, what was the main actor's name? Um, Interception. Is that the one, there's a car crash? No, it's not, it's not a bit weird. No. <laughs> 
Intersection. One intersection. There was one year before called Intersection, something like that. And what was happening is that two people's lives collided and it was the impact as a result of that collision. And I believe that the Lord delivered what we would call divine appointments. That's a religious term for it, charismatic term for it. I believe the Lord wants to set us up in the lights this coming week for divine appointments. Amen. Appointments that he set up with people and places for you to bring a raw demonstration of God to that person that they have never seen or known before. In fact, why do we even ask God, Lord, this week would you give me a divine appointment and would you help me recognise it? So moving the supernatural knows for the the few who are gifted among us, but for all who are available. Because here's the deal, moving the supernatural is not for those who are inherently gifted. But like I say, for just anybody who will make themselves available. You need to believe that the supernatural power of God is not only accessible. A lot of Christians know that and believe that. Yeah, I believe that God's power is available to me. But it's actually possible in your in and through your life. Jesus in John chapter 14 verse 12 says this, he's talking to the disciples and Philip comes to him and, and where a request says, Jesus shows the Father, John chapter 14, 5, and Jesus says to him in John chapter 14, 6, Philip, after being with me so many years, do you not know that I am Father, one he who has seen me has seen the Father? He says, I tell you, I'm the truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not our way, our truth, or our life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we live in a multicultural, multi pluralistic society where people say, well, your truth is your truth, your way is your way, uh, and your life is your life. No. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and we need to get back to proclaiming that truth. That there's only one way, Jesus. There's only one truth above all truths, and it's Christ. There's only one life that will give you true life, and that's Christ. And then Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 12, says, I tell you the truth, it's not that he was conditioned to lie, but he was emphasizing a point. He who believes in me will do what I have been doing. What was Jesus doing? Raising the dead, casting out demons, cleansing the lepers, healing the sick, seeing the deaf hear, seeing the mute speak, seeing the, the blind see, the lame walk. Did any of you guys see that on a regular basis in your life? Wow, and yet Jesus says, I tell you the truth, he who believes in me will do what I have been doing. In fact, he will do <clears throat> even greater things than these. I'm just trying to do the things that Jesus did, never mind the greater things. I don't know what the greater things would look like, but if I can function on a regular basis, which I normally do, uh, seeing things like that, but I want to see more. See, I'm thankful and I'm grateful to God, but I'm not satisfied and I'm not content. If you can live without God's supernatural demonstrations in your life, then you will live without it. Let me say that again. If you're content and you can live without God's supernatural demonstrations in your life, then you will live without it. The Bible says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the reality of me, for they will be filled. So it's dependent on your hunger. So we need to believe that part of our identity that's moved to supernatural is not just accessible, but it's actually possible. And here's the deal, here's why it's possible. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, who was a physician who 
Lally, he was a bit and kind of wrote the Gospel of Luke when he went and interviewed eyewitnesses of people who'd been with Jesus, like Peter and all those guys and various other people. He wrote the account of the Gospel of Luke. Then he comes to the Gospel of Acts, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, Theophilus is a man who had actually given Luke money to do this project, again, these eyewitness accounts of the life of Christ. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up into glory. That tells me this, all that Jesus began to do and teach, Jesus is still doing and still teaching. But the way he does it is through his body. You know, the church is the body of Christ and the body of Christ is the church. And the church isn't a building where we gather. The church is you and I, living stones being built together, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, to become a habitation for the Spirit of the Lord. That's what the church is. And what Jesus is saying is we are, you and me, are the continuation and should be the continuation of his ministry to a late world. So most people, most non-Christians, have more faith than Christians. I said this before and I'll say it again. Most non-Christians have more faith than Christians. I've seen more Christians healed than I've seen, uh, more non-Christians healed than I've seen Christians. Because they don't have any theological baggage. Well, you know, I've been prayed for many times and I'm, I'm still the same. Because that might be the first time they've ever been prayed for. And they don't have, well, maybe God doesn't heal me. No, you know what, I've nothing to lose. On you go, take your best shot. And God turns up and heals them like, wow, I didn't realize that, I didn't think that. So again, we are the continuation of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is at work through his body. We have his arms, his casting crowds, they've got a great song, if we are his body, why is the world? And it goes on, that's a whole lots of questions, brilliant song. But if we are the body of Christ, which we are, we need to be reaching out. We need to be touching people in the workplace. We need to be touching people and the jams and whatever, we need to be seeing the power of God in operation. Because here's the thing, supernatural ministry is not for the super saints. I remember when Paul came and all those turned up the scene and thought, wow, it was, it was wild. Those guys were wild. They could read your mail and then some. Tell you where you live, tell you your name and your birth certificate, tell you your wife's name, tell you your church name, tell you your church what they're involved in, tell you where your church would be. Those guys tell you there's a comet coming over and such and such a day. Those guys were witted, sure enough, all those things happened. They were wild, absolute wild. And, but we, back then, looking back, so you go to 88, 89, 90, and early 90s, we would look and think, ah oh, man, they're the super saints. We can't do that. Supernatural ministry is not for the super saints, it's for all the saints. And that's why Jesus in Gospel, Acts, rather than the Gospel, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this. But you, who's he talking to? He's talking to the disciples. So it's a specific promise for a specific group of people for a specific purpose. So if you don't get it, it's not specific. One, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Part of the anointing, part of the empowerment, part of that infilling the Holy Spirit is that we would be who we really are. And that we would be as witnesses in our Jerusalems where we live, in our Judeas, in our Samarias, and to the ends of the earth. It's power to be, not power to do, initially. And here's the thing that a lot of people miss. The power follows the presence. The presence does not follow the power. 
you will receive power. I love what the King James says. So I'll, I'll read the Bible in lots of different versions. It says, and afterwards you, afterwards you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And what the King James is really saying there is, power is subsequent to presence. Do you see it? You will receive something when the presence of God comes upon you, when the presence of God overshadows you. And that's what we anointing us and throwing us in for free, okay? If you want to know the old Pentecostal term anointing, and I love that term, I really do love it. The anointing simply means an overshadowing of the person of the Holy Spirit upon a person or a situation or circumstance or a geographical location. Remember Mary in Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel comes and says she's 13 years of age, there and thereabouts. She's engaged to be married, her whole life's mapped out, she's marrying a carpenter, he's got his own business, he's doing really well, Lee Joe's doing brilliant. The whole community celebrating, they're engaged, and it's not coming to the marriage phase yet. The angel Gabriel turns up, turns her world upside down and right side up and says, you know what? You've got to give birth to the Messiah, the Son of God. And Mary has, like any teenager who's never been with a man, um, or any woman who's never been with a man, says, how can this be? says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, anointing, and that which will come forth from you will be by the Holy Spirit, will be the Messiah, Jesus. And you see that whole overshadow, and that's what the anointing does. The anointing overshadows you, the presence covers you, and then something is conceived in you, and then brought forth from you. That's good, eh? That just came me there. That was great. <laughs> so it overshadows you, conceived in you, and then brought forth from you. That's what the anointing does. And so that's how, it's not for the super saints, moving in the supernatural ministries for all the saints. And when you begin to realise and understand that you're called to demonstrate the kingdom, not just merely proclaim it and explain it, but you're called to demonstrate it, then you realise the need to recognise and develop and cultivate a supernatural mindset. So how do we do that? Let me give you some keys of functioning the supernatural. And again, you don't need these keys. My boy is functioning the supernatural like you wouldn't believe. Uh, and I've not sat down with him and said, Jazz, here's 12 keys to functioning the supernatural. You need to develop that supernatural mindset. The Holy Spirit radically encountered him in July and he is not the same person. And he's moving in incredible power. He got a testimony that part, he was at this tent thing called Magnitude. I told you that on Friday or Saturday. And he gets this like, WhatsApp message or Instagram message. This girl doesn't even know him. She finds out who he was. She says, you don't know me, but I was making my way out of the tent to go to the toilet and I banged out you and the power of God hit me. She just bumped out him and the power of God hit her. He's functioning words. He doesn't call it prophecy. He, he give people's names. I, I told you about that. I tell you about the guy on holiday. I tell you about that. Let me tell you about this. I'm boasting on my boy. I'm boasting on what God is doing, my boy, because I think he's a prototype of what the Lord wants to do. Know what the Lord wants to do, what he is doing. We're in holiday in Turkey in August, and we see this big black guy. He's got presence about him, and I thought, hmm, he's been involved in a few things. I'm a boy for the scheme, so I recognise that when I see it. And my boy's a big guy. He is a big, I show some guys the photos, he's a big lad. And my boy does drill and rap and he can handle himself and anybody in the drill world from London for a lot of the gangland in London who own the record companies um, know my boy because they've offered him record deals. He had four record deals last November at 14 years of age in that industry, which is quite something. Uh, I don't like drill in terms of what they sing about and violence and 
they've stabbed this one or shot this one and been with the feds and this drug deal. So I said, my boy, that's not your life. Where are you getting your content from? Says the likes of my friends. Maybe need to look at your friends. <laughs> and anyway, so he, he puts all their stories to song and he's doing fantastically well in that. And he's getting known worldwide, to be perfectly honest. And anyway, so we were like, you know what? Some of the lines he's gone down, we're really not happy as Christian parents and it's not the way we brought him up. But we thought, we need to give him a bit of leeway. We don't want him causing rebellion against us. And so he goes and we pray and look, Holy Spirit, radical encounter. He goes to magnitude, he gets radical encounter. We're in Turkey and he's, we see this guy, my boy knocks, he's this guy, and my boy says, I'm going to go and speak to him. Oh, you go, Jess, knock yourself out. <laughs> and he goes and speaks, sure enough, this guy's been part of the drill world back in the day, and part of gangs in London, and, and stuff, so he's chatting to Jazz about the dangers, Jazz is talking to him about sort of like different gangs that probably knew, uh, and, and music that comes from those gangs, uh, record labels. And so we've discovered that his name's Andrew, and it's nice, and he's got his three kids, and so then on the Friday we lie, we were returning home on Saturday, we were lying in the sun lounge, my wife was in the room, uh, she didn't like the sun that much, uh, but me and Jazz are in the sun lounge, just dipping in at the pool, and says, Dad, I've got to pray for Andrew. I says, well, great, son, he says, but I'm scared. He says, okay. He says, but Robbie Dawkins says, feel the fear and do it anyway, so I'm going to do it. It's like, okay, and I thought, I was tempted to say, Jazz, I'll come with you, but if I went with him, I'd have took over from him. And that prophesied over this guy and everything else. And I thought, God's not asking me to do it, God's asking him to do it. So he went away, he comes back somewhat later, and I said, how'd it go, Jess? He says, Dad, he says, he grabbed my hand and held it tight. I'm like, right? He says, then he started shaking, the power of the spirit. So I'm not trying to correct his language, saying, yeah, Jazz, that's the power of the spirit. And he tried to stop, done everything he could to stop crying. That's that's brilliant, son. He said, but what I didn't tell you, Dad, is the night before Thursday night, I got the name Emmanuel. I was like, right. He says, and I said to Andrew, I says, who is Emmanuel and where is he? So could Emmanuel could have been a girl or whatever. And the guy said to him, how do you know that? Who told you that? He says, I don't know. So I love that, because not with much prophecy in God. He says, I don't know. He says, why? He says, him and his wife or his partner separated. And Emmanuel says, oh, the son, and he does not know where they are. This guy, Andrew, had been dipping in and out of church. He took my boy's Instagram. From that day, he's been going to church on a regular basis. He's now his friends on it, my boy, as well, saying, you know what, Andrew's doing really well. Why? Really? It is amazing. I think it's brilliant. He's in holiday, mind his own business. God gives him the name Emmanuel. He dad doesn't have a clue. Dad. I spoke in this language and it sounds like gibberish. I think I'm making it up. It's like, it's like a lot of Christians are not <laughs> Dad, I prayed for this person. They're stacking about as if they're drunk. And I'm obviously, ah, you know what? That's being drunk in the spirit. And Dad, then I prayed for this other person. They passed out. They fainted. <laughs> not sleeping. And so, you know, I'm very tempted uh, with 30 plus years of experience and more to step in and give them a vocabulary. Do you know what God said to me? Don't take away the joy of his discovery and exploration through your expertise. Let him develop his own vocabulary and I will correct it as and when we need to go. He's moving the supernatural. More power than I am at the moment of the truth he's on. Detailed revelation. I'm like, happy days. That's not a threat to me. See, the thing is, when you become a father in the faith, 
You want your kids to go further than you've ever been. See, siblings will compete and compare. Fathers don't. Father raises, fathers raise up sons and daughters. And I want my ceiling in terms of what I've ever experienced in God, what I've ever, I will experience in God, to be my son's floor. That's, that's his beginning point. But he's standing in the shoulders of giants and people in and around his life who have experienced lots of the supernatural power of God. That's no foreign to him. And even though he doesn't have the vocabulary or the ability to articulate it theologically, as long as he's moving on it. And he's moving in and so he's witnesses to his friends, he's leading people to Christ in school. People are like, you've really changed, you used to batter us. Now you're leading us to Jesus. <laughs> and we all good reason we used to batter him because some of them are very racist. And my boy's mixed race and my wife's coloured, so I'm not condoning it, but I thought, you know what, you can't get bullied in Glasgow, so suddenly you've got to, make it to defend yourself. And so now he's a big lad, six feet one or two, and uh, was 17 stone at one point on the way, but now he's done the weights and he's huge. So, uh, but God is radical and he loves Jesus. He's given up the drill and rap because he believes God's called him into worship. Do you know what? And I thought, here's my concerns and God's dealt with them. God makes a way where I couldn't see a way, my wife couldn't see a way, praying about a way, thinking, listen, I'm supposed to be a prophet and I can't see anything. But that's the thing, sometimes we're too near the situation. And that's why Jesus put out the in-laws, the outlaws, the mother-in-laws with Jairus' daughter. You know, he took Peter and, and James or John with him into that room. Why did they put them in? Because they were too close to the situation. They would have had a negative impact on the situation. Sometimes when you're too close to a thing, it's more difficult to see the solution. And sometimes it takes somebody from out with or something to happen out with to bring the solution. Jairus had to go out with his <coughs> Everything he'd ever known, his positions within a religious community, to get what he never had within that community. Anyway. So we need to, how do we cultivate this? One, as we've said all over the weekend, we need to be dependent on God. The son can do nothing by himself, he only does what he sees his father doing. Whatsoever the father does, the son also does in like mass. So develop a dependency in God and we're listening and waiting God. Here's the other thing. Realise that God is working in every environment. That there's no environment that you go into that God is not ready at work. And just pray and say, God, would you open my eyes to see what you're doing here? So I can partner with you in doing what you're doing. Here's the other thing. Thirdly, you need to cultivate the presence of God in your life. Cultivate that presence when you know that you're in the presence of God. Lots of Christians walk about more often than not without that awareness of God's presence. And I'm not talking about a general awareness, I'm talking about the manifest presence of God. Here's the other thing, you need to, we need to walk and exercise faith. I love Hebrews, Hebrews is my favourite book in the New Testament. But I love Hebrews 11, the, the, the heroes of faith. But even before you get there, there's a, a couple of definitions of faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. You know the difference between faith and hope? Can anybody tell me? It's not a rhetorical question. What is the difference between faith and hope? Well, we're finding our people, guys. Risk. Risk? It's okay, but it's not the difference. What's the difference between faith and hope? I've just told you. Is it faith is from God? Faith is from God. No. 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 What you can see. Now faith is certain. 
of what we hope for, the evidence of things not seen. The difference between faith and hope is this. Faith is now. Hope is future. And again the scripture says, who hopes for what he already has? Because faith, hope has to do with the future. And again there's a whole teaching we can do in that in terms of faith and hope. And that's why the Bible says now faith. Faith is always now. Hope is always future. Okay? Hope is always head. Faith is always heart. And you find that in Romans chapter 10. It says, with the heart man believes unto salvation. And with the mouth, or with the head and the mouth, confession is made. So again, that we need to realise that faith is now. Now faith is. Not what faith was. And not what faith will be because that's all. But what is faith now? And in Hebrews 11, 6, it says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who endlessly seek him. That's brilliant. See, without faith, you're not going to please God. You want to please God? Develop faith. And here's the thing, faith is not a feeling. Faith is not an attitude. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is not a, a goosebumps. Faith is a, a deliberate act based on what you believe God is telling you to do. That's what faith is. It's acting in accordance with the voice of God. And again, you find that John 14, 12, which I quoted earlier. He who believes in me, faith, will do what I have been doing. But also in Galatians 3, 5, Paul is addressing the Galatian church and the churches of Asia at that point. And what is happening is they became Christians, but Judaizers have came from Jerusalem. People have become Christians, but say, look, in order to become a Christian, you must become a Jew. And so you need to be circumcised. And Paul then in Galatians chapter 3 says, Who has bewitched you? And what he's saying is, listen, this is witchcraft. These people through their teaching have brought a bit of witchcraft spirit over your minds and over your hearts to the extent that you can't see the results and the effects of the cross. And then in Galatians chapter 3 verse 5 he says this, I want to, in fact, verse 3 verse 1 says this, Having begun in the spirit, are you now trying to achieve your goal by mercy and efforts or means? And then in verse 5 says this, I want to know this, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law, i.e. by works, by circumcision, by all these things, by trying to attain righteousness and justification by what you can do around what God has done for you in Christ, or by faith? Faith is very important, folks. I was sharing with Debbie that at the table. Me and my brother Alan, we are iron sharp as iron. We love each other. He's far greater than me, if the truth be known. He is a brilliant communicator. He is a father in the faith to many. Lots of people say, but you're the eldest. Are you jealous? Absolutely not. Absolutely. I couldn't be any more prouder than what God is doing. Seeing him for a 12-year-old in Crown of Christ to where he is now. Worldwide ministry influence. Uh, and again, I think, you know what? On yourself, buddy, that is brilliant. But we sharpen each other from time to time. And I was saying this, that to say this. He will tell me things. We've been speaking about in the last 18 months about <coughs> moving in ministry, how to move in the power of the Spirit. And we've settled, we've been reading the same things for some reason. He'll put me on the books that he's been reading, I'll put him on the books that I've been reading. He'll share some things the Holy Spirit said to him, I'll share things the Holy Spirit said to me. And here's what we've landed on, okay? I'm not saying that we're right, I'm just saying that it's helpful for me and it's helpful for him and we're seeing incredible things, okay? Um, and it might be helpful for you. There's three ways that you can move in the Holy Spirit. One is by faith. In fact, everything is by faith. If you want to see God move, you need to move by faith. 
I love what Smith Wigglesworth says, and Smith Wigglesworth, if you know anything about him, he's brilliant. He was a crazy old guy. He was illiterate until he became a Christian, and the first book, and the only book he ever read was the Bible. And he has this phrase, and he's seen, what, 17 resurrections for the dead, 1617, incredible miracle signs and wonders, to the extent a guy had no um, feet at all, just stumps on his knees, and he bought him a pair of shoes, <laughs> stayed with for four days, threw out all the newspapers and everything else, only read the Bible, and then he, Smith Wigglesworth went to the cobblers back in the day, he made it in Smith Wigglesworth Power, Prayer and Miracles, that's in, that's in that book there. And he orders a pair of shoes for this guy, and then says to the guy, after four days of praying, seeking God, I'm away now, so you've got an appointment at, to say, 2.30 on Monday to go and see the cobbler, and the guy's like, Smith, I don't have any, I've stumped, I don't, you he, in obedience and faith, he goes, and the story goes like this from the tailor's point of view, not from the tail, from the cobbler's point of view. He puts his stump in the shoe and the leg, legs go out. He puts his stumps in the shoes and legs go out. Now you can believe that or disbelieve that. I believe that. Mm. I have a God, I worship a God who created the galaxies and the universe. That has nothing for God. Miracles are not part of God's vocabulary, but part of what God gives us is a vocabulary to help us understand His ways. Because that's just normal for God. That's who He is. That's what He does. And I'm like, wow, I'd love to see that. I would love to see you just tell somebody, look, after four days, put out your newspapers and everything else. Go and put these stumps in. And as they put the stumps in, the man had to act in faith. So you can move and see things. And Wigglesworth says this, I'm not moved by what I see or what I hear, only what I believe. And I th he's talking about faith. And what he used to say, this phrase, and it's quite controversial, but I really like it. He says, if God's not moving, then I will move him by faith. Mm. And I think, that's brilliant. See, God doesn't all the time respond to our needs of us, he's into his eyes, but he will always respond to faith. And I'm not talking about the faith, teaching, help, work, and prosperity. There's a lot of good things in there. There's a lot of harmful things, destructive things in there. But it's taking good. It's like John Wimber always says, and what I always believe, it's like a dinner. You eat what you like and leave what you don't. My boy doesn't like veg. We'll try to get him to eat veg, but he doesn't like it, so he'll leave it. It's fine. <laughs> so you can move in faith, but if you don't have faith, sometimes the anointing of the Spirit, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is there. And you can step out in ministry by, you know, the Lord is here, the Lord is want to do something, Lord I'm available, what do you want to do? Bang. The anointing. But then there's the glory realm. So you're not moving by faith here. You're not moving by any sense of the empowerment here. It's just God shows up. You ever been meetings or places or things and done things? God just shows up and it's like the atmosphere is pregnant with his presence. It's tangible, it's electrifying, and just all sorts of heaven is breaking loose and all sorts of hell is being revealed and dealt with. You ever been in meetings like that? So here's the thing, if the glory is not operating, you can operate through the anointing. And if you don't have a sense of the glory, and the glory is not visible, tangible, and you don't have a sense of permanent anointing, you can always operate faith. There's always somewhere that you can start, folks. Always somewhere. Here's another couple. Okay, so we need to exercise faith. We need to cultivate, and this is probably the most important, you don't take anything away, take this away. You need to cultivate sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Be sensitive to the Spirit of God. Well, sometimes that's maybe meetings like this, so... Can you feel that? 
presence of God. And the more you've spent cultivating sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, the more he shares with you. The more he gives you. The more he rests upon you. I love what Bill Johnson says. Bill Johnson says, the Holy Spirit is in me for me. And he gave us in John chapter 14, you know, Spirit of Truth, and the council said, I'm comfort, he'll be with you forever. He won't just be with you, but he'll be in you. He says, the Holy Spirit's in me for me, he's upon me for you. The Holy Spirit is in me for me. He's upon me for you. So we need to develop sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Here's the other thing. We need to hear his voice. John 10, verse 27. If you're a Christian believer, it doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. You can hear God's voice. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. One of the expectations, we basic expectations we should have as Christians, as believers, Christ followers, has an ability to hear and recognise the voice of God. So anyone else who are married, who are single, who have siblings, who have uh, partners, sometimes even in a crowd like this, we can pick out our siblings' voice from our, every other voice. We can distinguish our, our husband and wife's voice from every other voice. Why is that? Because you've learned to become sensitive to those, that voice over the years, over experience, over different environments. And it's no any different we hear God. As you spend time with God, as you spend time in His presence, chatting to him and letting him speak to you. Don't rush away after you've given your shopping list. Okay? We're not Teslas, we're not Morrisons, we're not Sainsbury's or Waitrose or Marks and Spencers. We're before the presence of Almighty God. Come and say, you know what, God? I've got some things I want to chat to you about. What do you want to chat to me about? Okay, and then we hear his voice. Here's the last couple of things. We need to let it be obedient. Most Christians get revelation but they're not bold enough to step out. One thing about me that people who have known me for many, many years have said, and again, it's not natural, it's not my natural ability. I'm quite shy and an introvert person, believe it or not, but I work hard at being an extrovert. Because I used to go to parties and places, even Christian, when we were at Bible college, when my friend, he's larger than life, and I'd be left on the sidelines, and everybody, he would be the life and so on, I thought, if I don't learn to relate, I'm sunk. I'm finished and I'm going to be socially inept and inadequate uh, and socially awkward. And so I learned to become an introvert, looking at different social cues, which was appropriate, what wasn't appropriate. Bear in mind, I was brought up non-religious, so there was a lot of things that were appropriate in that lifestyle that was an appropriate Christian lifestyle. Most of my conversations would be expletives. Not really good in <laughs> Christian circles. Although, to be perfectly honest, some people are more uh, uptight and hit up about some a Christian that swears than the billions of people that's going to Christless eternity. Yeah. And we need to get focused right, folks. I'm not, I'm not saying it's okay to swear, but I've known lots of Christian leaders who do. And I'm not saying continuously that they'll come out with an expletive like what? And the religious spirit, and you can say, that's terrible. But equally as terrible, maybe even worse, is what about my concern for the poor? What about my concern for the people that are going to Christless eternity? that I'm not witnessing to, that I'm not talking to, that I'm not praying for. What about that? So we need to learn to be obedient. Because again, God can speak, but unless you're obedient, you're never going to see anything happen. Here's the other thing. I love this. Life will always flow from the mindset you develop. And, and during this teaching this morning, folks, I'm coming against some, I'm just going to be honest, before, during the worship, the Lord says, I want you to pull down mindsets of unbelief. 
So some of you have mindsets, you might not have identified with that, you might not even acknowledge it. You have mindsets of unbelief, and what that means is this, there is no place in your domain, your cognitive cognizance, your awareness of the supernatural intervention of God being available, possible, accessible, never mind de demonstrated. And so I'm warned this morning against mindsets, if you've got that and some of you have got that mindset of unbelief. And I'm here to tell you today that we're, we're plowing up that ground of unbelief, that mindset, because your life will flow in the direction of the mindset that you hold. Romans 12 to quote that over the weekend. Here's the other thing. A lot of people, God speaks to them, which is revelation, but they never see a manifestation. And about 18 months ago, two years ago, the Lord began to speak to me and says, Lord, why is that? I like asking God questions. Because God is better than Google. He is God, not Google. He knows everything. And I said, God, why is it that between people receiving a promise or a prophecy or a word, and between the manifestation of that word and that coming true and that coming to be, why is it a lot of people get this, but they don't see the manifestation of it? And he says, John, declaration. And I says, what do you mean, God, declaration? So this is where I talk to God, okay? So my thoughts, and even audible, says, I was sitting at my dining room table, says, what do you mean, declaration, Lord? And then he brought back to mind the scripture in Job 22, verse 20, he says this, you shall decree or declare a thing and it will be established for you. The power of pronouncement, the power of proclamation, the power of decree. I thought, wow. And then the Lord took me and said, let's go to Luke chapter 4. He said, right, Lord, let's go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verses 13 through 19, you see that Jesus returns to Galilee uh, in the power of the Spirit. He went into the desert full of the Spirit. He returns after he overcomes every temptation in the power of the Spirit. And the Bible says, as was his custom, if you want to know a reason for gathering with other believers, Jesus did it. As was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. And I was handed the scroll of Isaiah. You ever, so I'm asking the Lord, I'm in this dialogue with the Lord about revelation, declaration, manifestation. And I say, Lord, why Isaiah 61? Why not Isaiah chapter 9? And I, I get the ask the Lord for a sign because you've not asked the Lord for a sign I will give you a sign the virgin will be with child and you will call him Emmanuel when God with us he'll be a mighty God wonderful counsellor prince of peace everlasting father why not Isaiah 9 and if the increase of his government there shall be no end and even that take that aside which is a brilliant passage of scripture probably the greatest passage of scripture in all of scripture 900 years before the birth Death, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Isaiah prophesies Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, the death, the crucifixion of Christ, the results of that crucifixion, the, the reasons for that crucifixion, that Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins. There's an old punk man they called the dead Kennedys from New York says, Jesus died for his own sins, not mine. That's a lie for the pit of hell. Jesus died for your sins and mine. And in the light of that, because God loved us, we need to repent and turn towards faith in him. Whether you're a Christian or not, that's it. Repentance isn't a one-act time, a one-thing time. It's a constant, it's a constant metanoia, changing your mind and turning about. So anyway, I'm like, Lord, why Isaiah 61? Why no 53 and your suffering, your crucifixion, your resurrection and the results of that? 
and he brings me back to Luke 4. And then I read it and it says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me and powered. Where would that happen in the Jordan? He just came for that and then subsequent temptation and then in the, and in the, the temple. He's anointed me to preach and proclaim good news to the poor, freedom from captives, recovery of sight for the blind, justice to those who need justice, and to proclaim the year of Jubilee, which was every 49 years, the 50th year, that any land that you, you had to sell because you were in poverty had to be restored to you. And then Jesus says this. The Bible says that he takes his scroll and hands it back to the attendant, and all eyes of those in the synagogue were fastened on him. That's exactly what the scripture says. And Jesus says this, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And the Lord spoke to me and says, think about my son, he says, okay Lord, he says, from the age of 12 he amazed the religious leaders when Mary and Joseph were going back after being in Jerusalem and worshipping, and they forgot about it, and it was a day's journey, a couple of days' journey when they remembered, oh, I forgot, where's Jesus, where's a child? Today's social services would have took him. And it was okay. Oh, we don't know. So we go back and find him. He says, do you not know how to be about my father's business? You would find him here. The Bible says that the religious leaders were amazed at his questions and answers. Jesus knew who he was from a very early age. He was steeped in scripture, so he had that revelation of identity. And it was a work in progress. I don't believe when he was two or three, he was a super baby and had all this revelation. I believe, like Luke 2.52 says, that Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favour with both God and man. So there's a growth. Because he was fully God, but he was fully man. That's a whole different theological ballgame. Okay? But the fact is, he grew in wisdom, stature, and favour. And the fact is, he knew the revelation. And so we're looking at signs and wonders, people, blind people, seeing all that, that's part of his purposes. And the Lord spoke to me and says, before there could have been a manifestation of what had been revealed, my son had to declare, today this scripture, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, that's declaration, for he has anointed me. And then he proclaims the purpose of the anointing, the empowerment on his life to do X, Y, and Z. And then the Lord said to me, most people in Christianity don't see the fulfillment of the revelation and manifestation because they're failing to declare it. Do you remember Jesus says, speak to the mountain? If you speak to this mountain, tell it to move into the heart of sea. And it's a hyperbole, it's, it's not an exaggeration, but what he's really saying is if you have the faith of God and you have revelation that God has spoke to you, there's nothing in your way that cannot be removed. It's not about praying about the mountain. It's not about trying to climb over the mountain, circumvent and circumnavigate the mountain, go around it. It's speak to the mountain. And so when you declare things, and that's why Job says there's power proclamation when it's God. I told you on Friday or Saturday night, Bolivia, Lord, I decree a reversal of this decision. My wife works in a company that years ago was looked as if it was going down this morning. And again, I says, Lord, I decree that this will never happen again. And again, it's not something I just thought up, it's something that was stirring in me in the spirit of the Lord came upon me. This will never happen again. And I decree a million pounds for that organisation. Do you know it's never happened again? And there's no long after that, they got a couple of wills in that was for fortunes. They're more than a million now, way beyond a million. And the work's growing and thriving and developing and expanding. And again, because you might say, well, John, that's because, no, it's because decreed. And here's the thing, years ago God spoke this to me. My word in your mouth is just as powerful as my word in my mouth. 
and it's my word in your mouth. You shall decree a thing and it will be established for you. When God puts words in your mouth like the prophets of all the Old Testament and the New Testament and ordinary believers and you decree what God is speaking, then there's a manifestation. Are you with me? Revelation, manifestation. Revelation, declaration, manifestation. Some of you are in that middle part. You need to start decreeing what God has revealed so that you can see what God has actually spoken and promised. And so there's that power of decree, folks. And these are the ways that you move supernaturally and create and develop a mindset for the supernatural. And so as I leave this weekend, I'm hoping, my hope is, ah, that's, that was great. We've filled up a few notes in our notebook and then we'll wait till the next person comes and brings whatever they've got to bring and we'll fill up another few notes in our notebook and we never do anything with it. None of this weekend will be of any value to you unless you do something with it. Just like the promised land was of no value, even though God himself had swore by his own self, because there was no one higher, as the Old Testament says, uh, listen, you've gone into the promised land. And then they never went into the promised land because they didn't, but they were scared of the giants. And they looked small in their own eyes, so the perception of their identity and comparison to others. And the Bible says in Hebrews, and that's why I love the book of Hebrews, it gives us a commentary, a, a, like an insight of what happened there. It says the word spoken to them had was of no value. In Hebrews chapter 6. Why? Because they never mixed up with faith. They never acted in faith. They came a 40 year journey that would have took 10 days. Got to lead them about the whole wilderness because of their unbelief. And they came to the edge of the Jordan, crossed over, and they, because of the report of the 12 spies, 10 were good, 2 were bad, uh, ten, 10 were bad, 2 were good. You remember that old nursery? Sunday school song, do you sing that here? Because, well, okay. Can't remember all this. 10 were bad, 2 were good, and we were like, oh yeah, that's great. So when we became Christians, I'd pay a neo-Nazi skinhead background. That's the kind of songs I grew up with. I was listening to all sorts, but no, it was nice. And there was a lot of truth in it, although it was simple and simplistic. But here's the thing, they were they never mixed what they heard by faith as their followers of no value. Unless you mix what you have heard over this weekend by faith, I'm guaranteed, and I'm telling you just straight off the bat, I'm not trying to be rude, but it will be absolutely no value to you. I'll just be words for that speaking. You need to go away and ask God for a view. And people, God's been speaking to people, a number of people have been to me and saying, you know what, God's really hammering us home in here about my identity. And mix it with faith, folks. And remember, faith's not feeling, it's an action. Faith's not an attitude, it's a lifestyle. It's not a concept, it's not a theory. It's something that's dynamic, that's living because we, we have a, a God of faith. And so hopefully this weekend would have helped establish your identity. But beyond that, and, and there's nothing greater than that, but there needs to be an expression of your identity, who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you, to a, a wider world who are waiting. Do you know, most non-Christians are looking for God, they just don't realise they're looking for God. And God's no loss. We're lost. They're lost. And not everybody who's looking for God looks as if they're looking for God. In your workplace, the people you treat, the people you help, the people you, you teach. Man, what would it look like that if there was a mighty move of God in your school? Colleagues falling on their knees and repenting, saying, you know what, I've been involved in this adulterous affair, and I don't know, but 
And when I bump into you, I'm in your presence, Ralph, and, and I feel like confessing this and telling everybody about it. And the repent, what they're doing, you say, you know what, you need to give your life to Jesus. And somebody else says, you know, I've been stealing through this, this school, I've been taking paper clips or paper or whatever, a photocopy thing. And before you know it, then one in the conviction. And then the kids, they, they see that, oh, my teacher's not a bam anymore. Well, that's a good class, we do tell them, it's not a biblical tale. A bam means just somebody that's really, sometimes teaches way abusively and kind of makes fun of pupils or whatever, or is really uh, arrogant. And so sometimes I say to my boy, how's your teacher? They're a BAM and they do. Okay, was it them that was a BAM or was it you that was a BAM? So let's just establish the, the reality of what's happening here. <laughs> but imagine that. And then the kids get it and then the kids are coming in. Do you know that happened in 17 or 1859 in Coleraine? The Coleraine Revival, you read about it, it happened in a school and the school kids lined up against the wall praying. The presence of God fell in the town. And that went from Coleraine and Northern Ireland to the rest of the UK to a place called Bendigo in Australia. And they estimate something like 600 to 900,000 people became Christians. Today it would be equivalent to 7 or 8 million. Do you know what? I believe God can do it again. Do you? What about that headmistress, that person in charge? She's really struggling with all the financial. So I'm telling you prophetically, she's really struggling with all the financial deadlines and trying to get finance. And try to make sure there's enough books and resources for the school and everybody just pointing the finger and criticising and the government and, and Ofsted and everybody else and she's just longing for somebody to come and tell her who she is from God's perspective. That the job she's doing will be difficult and demanding. God appreciates it. Yeah, do it Lord. Yeah. Do what it. What it look like? You know what? I believe that that can happen. I believe that that can happen. I believe that that can happen. And your workplace, and your home, and your family, and your community, and your region, and your city, and your nation, or in the nations of the earth, I believe that can happen. Because before all is said and done, I'm finishing with this, the Bible says this, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. A lot of people miss it and think, just say, yeah, the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's not what the, the Bible says. We need a knowledge of the glory. We need a supernatural knowledge of the glory of God, how that is revealed, how that's manifested, where it's manifested, how it's manifested, whereby, how it's going to touch people. We need that knowledge, supernatural knowledge. I'm not talking about Gnostic knowledge, secret knowledge. I'm talking about revealed knowledge from the scriptures and our interactions with God. What would it look like? What would it look like? Because this is what's going to look like. What would it look like if Bristol Vineyard became a dynamic community of faith? Expanding, ever-growing. People will leave, people will come. That's just the nature of church. It's the nature of everything. And yet, the miraculous is normative. People just walk in the door of whatever you're holding your meetings, and before they know, bang, they're healed miraculously without anybody praying for them. What would that be like? Or somebody sitting there and somebody gets up next to them or a few rows in front and says, I get this word and this, 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 this. And like 1 Corinthians 14, 24, 23, 24 says this, that when an unbeliever comes in and you're all prophesying, the secrets of the heart will be laid bare. Surely will fall down among you and say, surely God is here. That's what I want to see. I don't want safe meetings. I, me, me, my brother Alan used to say this years ago. Wouldn't it be great 
and the sign in the church around the meetings at this time or that time, wear a hard hat because it's dangerous. <laughs> Wouldn't it be brilliant if you went to a meeting and you did not know what was going to happen? Ran a predictable ham sandwich of praise, announcements, word, ministry. What would it look like if we gave God back his church? What would it really look like? It would probably look a lot of out of control to the way we've controlled it. But I think it would probably look, what, look like a lot more of it hasn't than we realise. Because everybody gets to play. It's no platform now, it's everybody is bringing something, to contribute something. So I hope I've inspired you folks, I hope I've, over the weekend, more than anything, I hope I've revealed the supremacy and the greatness of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm all about, is just revealing Christ to people and revealing who they are in Christ and who Christ is in them. My prayer since I've been born again is this, Lord, I want to know you and I want to make you known. And that's how I've been doing so for the last 40 years, to know him and make him known. And I'm not always perfect and I'm not always great. I have my bad days, my ups and down days, uh, days where I can see people far enough and I don't like them. I've not preached to them. I have all those days. You know what? I've been faithful to trying to know as much of God as I can inside the turning and make him known. What time do we have, guys? 11.43. 11.43? We have lunch at what? 12.30. Would you mind if I go on for another 5 or 10 minutes? Would that be okay? Because I know that sometimes we can be overwhelmed and saturated. Uh, so if that is the case, just take a break. If you want to leave, leave. Let me, let me just go on for another 5 minutes here in terms of not just developing that. So let me touch on the thing of faith. When you're ministering to people, a lot of people sometimes have a full of faith. I remember we were in Johannesburg years ago in a place called Hillborough. 2003, first time I was in Johannesburg, and, and the only time actually. We go to Hillborough and the guys say, Hillborough is full of Nigerians. So there's like 40,000 Nigerians. And in South Africa, there's this perception of Nigerians. Certainly when we were there, that they're basically all corrupt drug dealers and wild. That's what we were kind of basically told, and not those crude words. But So we were going out to minister one night with a Catholic church and the vineyard guys and some other people were going to minister to her and says, look, what should we do? Took Kenny Rhymes and anything that's of value because you could be killed for that. Okay, we go on and we see person after person get saved. The guys had never seen that. We see God do incredible things. Then this young guy, I don't know, maybe mid-twenties, maybe late-twenties, he's stinking, and I mean he's stinking. He's filthy, and I mean he's filthy. I've seen a lot of stinking, filthy people in Glasgow, but this guy was right up there. Uh, so we're like, you know what? He then, we pray for him, say, what can we pray for? He says, I've got a hole in the leg. And he's talking rubbish. But it wasn't he rolled up his leg, it's all purple, and it's pussy, and it's everything. And I said, how did, it feel? How did that happen? He says, it's a gunshot wound. Alright, okay, so it had happened, I don't know, months before, but it was still quite relatively pussy. And sort of, I know I was like that as well, I don't know. I've a few people like that in the past, but... So anyway, we pray the best prayers. 
we prayed for this guy, we cast out everything, we pulled down everything, we done everything, and nothing was working. The guy says, I'm still in pain, it's still in agony, my leg. Then one of the guys says, gets a word of knowledge, I think we should wash his feet. I'm like, well, you do it, you get the word of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> no response, if I don't get the words, don't need to respond. So anyway, we did wash his feet. Seeing the processes is no other way. You could ask my brother, you could ask Gina Pastor, you could ask some of the guys from Northern Ireland who were there. As we washed his feet, the gun hole wound closed up as we washed his feet. I learned something that night. Sometimes compassion is more important than power. Probably he's never had a human touch for a long time, never mind. He's probably never had anybody wash his feet in his life. And as we washed his feet, he seen the power of God come close up that one, that hole, and it was a gaping hole. Faith. But we stepped out in faith. Now we never felt anything. I prayed for a guy, non Island. I don't know how this works. His name was Jonathan as well. There's my friend John Shades, who pastors the in the Skillin Vineyard and uh, with the Salvation Army, says, We want to do a prophetic conference. John, would you come and teach? Yeah, no problem. Still got his teachings on the phone that I did. 25 people max. Doesn't matter to me the numbers as long as people get it. This guy, Jonathan, comes up after one of the sessions and says, John, I cannot see distance out of my, the periphery of my right eye. I'm like, Okay, Jonathan. He <coughs> uh, says, Because I've got a glass eye. He lost his eye in an accident. Okay, Jonathan. He says, so what do you want? He says, I want to see it at the periphery of my right eye. No pressure, is there? <laughs> I just said, okay, Jonathan. So I had faith in God, but I put my hand on him. I had no faith for this. I'm being honest. In terms of emotion, I just thought I knew that God could do it, but I know. I mumbled against, maybe I'd be stumbling on that, the mumbling. I mumbled some sort of prayer that lasted about 15 or 20 seconds. And after he's like, that's amazing. I'm like, what's amazing? He says, I can see it in the periphery of my eye. And I'm like, Jonathan, are you sure? You, you, you don't really make me feel happy and good. Are you sure? As if he's a liar. I'm basically calling him a liar in a nice way. Are you really sure about this? John, I can see it. He says, wait a minute, I need to take my glasses off. I'm like, this guy's got a glass eye, right eye. He says, because I can't see with my glasses on. I says, what do you mean? He says, normally I could only see... I couldn't see anything with my glasses on. But I can't, it's all blurred. Took his glasses off, he had perfect vision. Perfect vision from a glass eye. Don't, I don't know how that works. I really don't. I'm not, that's not for me to know how it works. I stepped out of faith. I could tell you my friend John Shades' number and he would tell you what happened that day. Wow. Seen lots of people. But what I'm saying is this, faith is not a feeling, it's an action. If you don't have the gift of healing, because people say, well, that's not my gift. Why don't you try the gift of obedience? Yeah. Jesus says to heal the sick. If you don't have the gift of healing, just say, Jesus, I don't have the gift of healing. I don't think I do. I've never seen you move in my life. But Jesus, you've called me to heal the sick. So here I am, I'm available, and I want you to be here. Would you bring a sick person across me, and I'll pray for them? If you don't have the gift of healing, why don't you have the gift of obedience? So faith is no emotion, it's no an attitude. Well, you know what? I've prayed for years and nothing's really happened. What's it one word you used to always say? Pray for a hundred people. And after a hundred people, if still you've prayed for a hundred people, never anybody's been healed, then give up. <laughs> but pray for the hundred people first. Yeah. 
We give up too early, we give up too soon. Why? Because we develop this attitude. And I have lots of people, I'll say, can I pray for you? You know, I've been prayed for before and they give you all the baggage of unbelief and it's never worked and I've been prayed for the best of people and they quote names and their names that are well known. I'm like, and that's almost like the spirits trying to intimidate you and I'm like, I'm not being intimidated, I don't care who you've been prayed for. I said, can I pray for you? Well, kid on, it's the first time you've ever been prayed. Are you okay with that? Yeah, let's do that. And God just comes and heals them. I don't know why. I do know why. Because I'm realising faith is not an emotion, that is an attitude. Faith is an act based on the goodness of the revelation of God, who he is for us, who he is for others, and who he wants to be in any circumstances, situations. You need to step in faith. Honestly. Will you get it wrong? Lots of times. I stepped out of faith with friends of mine years ago, and it's terrible. I had to repent and ask them for forgiveness. Because I said to them, by this time next year, you will have a child. They were desperate for a child. They did lots of prophetic words for lots of different prophetic ministers worldwide that they would have a child. He is now in his 60s. She is 55, maybe 56 now, because she's just a few months behind me. They've never had a child. I got that terribly wrong, folks. You can back about 20 odd years ago, but it's still no excuse. I went back to my friend and said, you know what? I know you have all these prophecies, uh, and I know this and that. I prophesied, and that was wrong. I, you guys need to hear. I really apologise. I don't know. Maybe it was just my hopes, longings, and wishes for you as my friends. I dearly love you, and that was, and I was projecting that as if it was for God. So will you make mistakes here? But has it stopped me from moving? And they were gracious to John, we accept your apology, we accept your repentance. I've tried not to make the same mistake again. It's not to say that I don't make mistakes, it's not to say that I don't get it wrong. But the fact is, getting it wrong, this should not stop you from continuing to try to move in the supernatural. And people would say to you, well if it's supernatural, why do you need to try? Because like anything, Paul just dis Paul defines the gifts word of wisdom, word of knowledge, it doesn't describe how they function, does it? Is that not frustration for you? Because it is for me. We used to sit in meetings after we'd been Christians for four or five hours with the presence of God just literally wouldn't let anybody leave. We didn't know what we were doing. We would have all these experiences. We had a guy one time in the Nazarene church. If you know anything about the church of Nazarene, it's a wonderful denomination. Wesleyan holiness denomination. Don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Believe in them, but kind of like we'd be functionally cessationists. The guy I told you about um, Friday night who hated me and I hated him, he'd become a Christian some months before. He's in one night in the church of Nazarene, right at the very back. The place is packed because there's a revival going on. God is saving wonderfully lots of different people. Joe has got a stutter, but when he walked with God, his stutter really improved. He's sitting right at the back and, and the place is mobbed. It's a hot summer night. Um, I think so it would have been July, August time. I've got saved the 12th August. I think maybe a couple of months before, maybe June or whatever. And he tells a story and lots of people confirm it. He's sitting right at the back of the church and the animals right at the wall and the Lord speaks to him and says, there's somebody out there listening because there was doors right there. I don't know why the doors were not Normally they would open them thereafter. When I was there, lots of times it was really hot. Just so there was stuff like, we never had any air conscious so we could get some air. Joe does not leave his seat. Everybody in that building would tell you that. But he finds himself outside the door witnessing to this guy and leads him to Christ. See, when I came to faith, that guy was still following Christ. And Job never left his seat. 
never left his seat. And he never shouted through the door, he never shouted from the back wall. Anybody will tell you that I could bring a number of witnesses. He never left his seat but found him outside the door, witnessing to this guy, leaning to Christ, and that guy was still a fisherman, and I got there. How do you, how? We would have these experiences, but we never had a vocabulary. We'd experience distinguishing the spirits, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, cessation. When the vineyard came, it gave us a vocabulary for experience. It gave us a place to hang a hat. And that's what I love about the vineyard. It gave us a vocabulary and gave us definitions of, oh, we're experiencing this. We're experiencing that. That's what that is. That's about the knowledge. That's about the wisdom. That's proxy where, or that's tongues. We knew what tongues was. Although we thought it was gibberish for a long time, to be perfectly honest. So again, faith is, you need to please, without faith it's impossible to please God. But faith is now. Faith is not future. Hope is future. Faith is now. What is it God wants to bring about your life now? Not the future, but now. But you need to partner with him and by decreeing or declaring or by acting.